You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you could distill an entire decade of personality into one movie? Have you ever wondered what it would be like if the son of the legendary Bruce Lee decided to fight crime? If so, you are exactly in the right place because now playing at the SG Drive-In, 90s absolute classic, The Crow. We are your hosts, Priestly Geeks. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Joe Day. I am joined by the one and only Josh. What's going on? Oh, you know, not much. Uh, I watched The Crow for the first time yesterday, and I, I'm just ready to talk about I, My brain is still processing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was when when the series of events, we'll say, played out that you and I were doing this episode, I, I was so excited because I, I know you and I know the type of media that, you know what, if everybody feel, feels good at the end, that's a big old plus in your book. Like <laughs> if this if this story ends happy, I like to see happiness. And don't we all. But this movie is exactly not that. <laughs> and so I, I'm I'm curious. Uh well well I should start off with. Did you know anything about the 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 comic origins or anything about the crow story before going into this? Or was this your your first exposure? Yeah, so before watching this movie, um I I had only one thing spoiled for me. Only one. Uh I knew literally nothing about it until two days ago. I watched it yesterday. <laughs> Two days ago, I mentioned it to to TJ, and I was like, yeah, I'm just excited. I, you know, I know it's about crows. That's it. And he spoiled that it's not, in fact, about crows. So that, yeah. that was the extent of my knowledge. That's funny. Yeah, so this was one of those movies that was very firmly in my periphery as a youth um, this was like firmly, I, I remember when this one came out and I remember that I remember hearing that it was based off of a comic, but I didn't actually know until like into my adult years of nerddom and like looked into it and all of that, which it's uh, the, for, for all in, for all intents and purposes, I, this is a pretty one for one uh, adaptation of the Crow series that came out in 1989. Uh, guy, a guy and his girlfriend killed. He comes back as a uh, bit through the the power of crows. I'll get into it. It's a weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this it it was it was interesting to me because i know that you that you value a good a good old fashioned feel good story and so to me and going back to this it, it brought back a lot of the the nostalgia feels of it all because you know i'm i am one of those people that really enjoys movies like bruce lee's movies and like martial arts flicks and all of that kind of stuff and so it was layered for me because for those of you that don't know um our protagonist of this story is the son of famed martial artist bruce lee uh brandon lee and on the set of this movie uh was very tragic 
they were using a prop gun. Um, the person who was uh, in charge of maintenance on the gun didn't know to uh, thorough maintenance on it. And so essentially um, debris got stuck in the gun. And when it was fired mm-hmm. a second time, it acted as an actual gun um wounding and ultimately killing uh brendan lee um and so there's almost there's always been one of like almost like an air of mystique about this movie i think that that kind of lends to it all things considering the tragedy surrounding it but that's a thing that we see over and over again in cinema even movies like the dark knight and you know Mm -hmm. uh, tons of movies that that whose i guess reputations are benefitly are benefited by tragedy. I think mm-hmm. I said that right. Yeah. I mean, you give me a lot to work with there. Um, I learned a lot about this movie today after watching it because <laughs> I did some research. I read some of that original 1989 comic over on Comicsology. It's free over there, so that was cool. Uh, I, l- I love that it was black and white. I learned that the movie was originally going to be in black and white, and the studio was basically like, nah, no, no one's going to watch that, so can't be black right. and white. Um, apparently, this movie was cursed. Because uh, there was someone was like impaled on set too, like not one of the actors, but some like someone working behind the scenes or something. Apparently, there was just a lot of dark and weird, weird stuff that <laughs> went around the set of this, and it was originally going to be a trilogy, and they kind of ended up after the actor died, condensing it to one movie. Um, I think it shows a little, but not too too much. Um, and yeah, for me, there's there's two type of endings I really like for a movie to have. I, I love happy, feel good. Like Joe said, I will admit, if My Little Pony was the end of some movies, I would be okay with it. Like, okay, hey, uh, we're going to want Gilbert Grape. uh, All of a sudden, we're going to cut that ending in here. My Little Pony. Okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I hate, I hate. It's weird. I love sad music. I hate sad movies. Right. (laughs) I could not explain that to you. Um, But I do like, I like ironic endings. So whether it's sad, happy, whatever, I like when there's that sense of true irony in a story that kind of brings it full circle. So I was able to appreciate that. Even some of the campier versions that they did with this where, you know, some of the bad guys uh, that were like uh, killed by their own vices kind of thing where it was like, that was a little cheesy. But this is a comic book movie. Also, you know, a grunge kind of portrait. Would you call this horror? Like what? I don't. How would you genre this? So I personally would would um, would say action suspense uh, mm-hmm. by 90 standards. It could have been considered light horror um, because horror in the 90s was still hung over uh, from the 80s because of the, the slasher boom of mm-hmm. the 80s. And so 90s kind of went from slasher to like kind of like paranormal pagan specific sort Mm -hmm. of sort of horror and so this kind of slotted in with during a time where movies like the craft were coming out you know movies like scream were coming out you know Mm -hmm. during that kind of you know i i made the joke at the beginning but like this is when you look at movies that are quintessentially 90s it's it's a it's usually a list of about ten, and Crow is usually somewhere on that list for most people. Yeah, yeah. The '90s had some very specific flavors, if you will, and one of them was this kind of gothic grunge vibe that that was going on. You you also had your Full House vibe, but <laughs> very different flavors. 
Um, and I think this was, I, I see, I don't, I don't remember this movie during the nineties, having watched it now. I'm like, this is the pinnacle of what I remember of that flavor of the nineties. Right. Yeah. That, and, and to honestly, to, to kids of that generation, um, this was a movie that really was, um, enticing. It was, it was yeah. everything that it, that it was set out to be, which probably speaks for what was what what flew. I know sometimes we get caught up in the nostalgia of it all, but then you take a look back at this movie and you're like, yeah, this is the movie that these are the kinds of things that I grew up on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. consider what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but like this to me really uh, speaks to a lot uh, looking at it as an adult really does add a different flavor to it because mm-hmm. yes, you know, we could sit here and wax poetically about the nineties and all of that <laughs> and, and how this fits into the time and all of that. But honestly, like watching it again as an adult, as a Christian, I'm trying to think, I don't know if this is the first time that I've watched it since being a Christian. Uh, it's possible. I don't know that for sure, but I, I, it was watching it now to me was almost as interesting as waxing poetically about watching it as a kid because it's just two, two entirely different points of life, two entirely different, you know what I mean? Yeah. So a, a couple things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as thinking specifically of the 90s beats before, before we leave that, it, it's, it's interesting to me. Because when I think of the 90s for both of us, I, I feel like if this was more your lane of the 90s and mine was almost exclusively 90s cartoons and then 90s sitcoms. And I was like, I just didn't leave that happy part of the 90s, except for I, I always had this is weird. I always had some of the I'm trying to describe this carefully. The more emo parts were in my periphery, like the sad music from Nine Inch Nails or um <laughs> yeah, you you know that kind of music. Like that stuff was always kind of like on the borderline. I always was attracted to sad emotions, which I know is weird. I am not necessarily depressed. I definitely wasn't then. I was a happy person. I just I like those things. They typically have a little bit more meaning to them. But yeah. somehow the more grunge part of <laughs> the same bands, even where they're you know the anger kind of music of stuff. I like. I feel like I I just wasn't even really aware of them till later on. Right. And I feel like it was like I only saw this one part of that lane and it was interesting seeing this going, oh, yeah, there was a whole nother part of that 90s world that I just right. well, pretty much oblivious to. Yeah, yeah, that I, I've joked that emo scene of the early 2000s, just the 90s, but they got mm-hmm. over being pissed off and just decided to be sad. You know what I mean? Uh, it's there is this other side of it where like we joke about the macabre nature of the nineties. We joke about what, what we were exposed to and all of those kinds of things. But there was, there was a very clear uh, attitude and angst, I guess that, that just isn't, I think that's part of what makes the nineties nostalgia the this ridiculous thing 
that that it has become you know what i mean is is that yeah. that sense and feel and tone and tenor to some to to some but then you know for as much as all of us that perpetuated this and look back fondly at it like there's there's like a whole other it, it, it it's interesting to me when you talk to different people especially like th- that that have memories of the 90s and to hear how different people processed that period of time, what it meant to them, what was important to them, what their periphery looked like, all of that kind of stuff. Um, that, you know, that, that to me is so, is so interesting because there's so much about like the nineties in particular, that's almost mythicized a little Mm -hmm. bit by, by millennials. And so it's, to you, you look at something like this, and and for one, it is like the encapsulation of what the '90s looked like for 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 me. And you living through a similar period of time. I know I'm a little older than you, but through through that same kind of that same time period, but just from an entirely different perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty strange. Which really, this is just a side note. You can do that with comics too. I find it really interesting yeah. to meet other Marvel comic fans because half of them are like, "Oh yeah, you know Doctor Strange and Ghost Rider and all the like the really dark horror parts of Marvel." And I'm like, I've always dabbled in those, but lived more in the Captain America part. And they're like, "Oh yeah, they still make those." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's a that's a different story. I I do wonder. Speaking of comic books. Since th- this was a comic book movie-ish, it was based off of a comic book. It didn't have the same vibe that we have of today's comic book movies, obviously, because it didn't have the same precedent that it had to f- live up to, basically. I-, I don't know if this came before or after the Blade and Ghost Rider and all that, but it had the before same... what by, I uh, think, five years or so. Okay. Something so like that. It, it suffered from... I don't know if it really suffered for me. It suffered from this part of the same problem I had with those where it lived both in this kind of dark borderline, like a little creepy kind of world, but also still had the campy feel from some of the comic book stuff that kind of took me out of it. So I was curious, did that campy feel ever like, how did that come across to you watching this? Does that impact you at all? <laughs> uh, see, I, I, I think differently about camp than you do in certain regards. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let your mind go back to when uh, when uh, No Way Home came out and in our conversation, <laughs> like mm-hmm. th- that was that was the first major like uh, n- the first major note where our two generational perspectives or 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 youthful perspectives or our entry points yeah. into geekdom absolutely informed our preferences our what what we look mm-hmm. favor most favorably on and what is our version of that so for me i'll always have a soft spot in my heart for those i call them the 2000 era uh mm-hmm. uh superhero flicks like uh, Toby Maguire walked so that way Andrew Garfield could sprint and uh um Tom Holland could run like the it, <laughs> yes n- uh, there are absolutely misses in this particular generation and there's less of them so they're more noticeable than Marvel's than the MCU's like yeah. misses but for me 
there's the there is this inherent level of camp that has to be uh accepted in yeah. order for the rest of the pieces to fall into place. I, I think that same kind of notion for me is true on through the blades and the X-Men's mm -hmm. and the, you know what I mean? That as you get firmly into yeah. that full fledged generation, I do think that now that you mention it, there are absolutely notes that the crow started that blade and subsequent uh, Marvel yeah. movies from that generation absolutely picked up on and and refined sometimes to the better, sometimes to the worse. Yeah. And so so part of the, I think what I am labeling as part of the campy stuff is just because they did a really good job of adapting the comic book. Right. And some things I feel like this is just in general true. I think some things work better as comics and books. Yeah. I haven't finished the comics. So I don't want to say this is one of those cases, but like it felt very much like a, if they made a Pilgrim's Progress movie. I just don't feel like it would sit the same if you met someone whose name was Vanity or, hey, my name's Evangelist, you know, in a movie that just will never work. Right. And some of the names of these bad guys, I was like, I wish you would have just renamed them. Screw the comic. <laughs> that was funny. awful. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so the other the uh, the major thing to consider about that is what you're talking about is probably where it is most firmly. uh a product of its time because that sort of thing was absolutely socially acceptable in these kinds of, you know, action flicks and all of that kind of stuff. Because again, for, for as much as we, we herald movies like the movie series, like the MCU absolutely did change the, the methodology behind movie making and cinema as a whole. And that, same kind of willingness to be risky and avant-garde doesn't exist anymore. It, it, it can't in a world where you're measuring things in terms of billions. And for some fascinating reason, we've all come to think that every movie that comes out should be breaking the box office records, which simply <laughs> is not the case. The Crow is never going to beat box office records. But this to me is an important piece of cinema. For a lot of reasons, <laughs> like I just th this to album. me, yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, dude. This even the soundtrack is still to like. <laughs> I call them artsy 90, 90s weirdos, guys. <laughs> and just in case you haven't noticed this yet, I just I'll, I'll let you in on a little something about me. Confession time: I am an artsy nineties weirdo. Like I am one of these people, <laughs> yeah. and. and we still listen to music like The Cure and uh, mm -hmm. soundtracks like this and Rent and stuff like that. And so this, this was in a lot of ways an opportunity for like the same, the more, I don't want to sound super pretentious, but this was, this was an, uh, like people who, I feel like the, the same kind of people that like the crow are the same kind of people that are really dig uh, Sandman. Part of that mm -hmm. is I mm -hmm. am a huge, huge Neil Gaiman mark. I mm -hmm. love Neil Gaiman's work. Uh, so, so much of it. And so, and don't even get me started on, on the chef's kiss. That is that Sandman series that just came out. Absolutely amazing. But, but it's that same kind of more, 
artistic abstract sort of sort of presentation that I I don't think this movie gets made in any other time period and that mm, interests me because I don't think in, I don't think even past out of the 90s is there the same kind of um willingness to entertain the conversation of these different belief systems and symbologies and religious practices and all of this kind of stuff that's mm-hmm. that's so present and makes up this movie as a whole that I don't think I don't see another time period being willing willing to be brave enough to even start to have that kind of conversation in a mainstream flick like this. Yeah, and to an extent, I'm a little glad uh, that certain companies wouldn't do it because I, I had thought about this earlier. If the MCU did the same storyline, I would despise it oh, yeah. <laughs> because uh, as a concept, I love the idea. Weirdly enough, I love the idea of guy gets killed because he was watching people assault his wife. That is the PG version. It is much worse. Um, they both die. A crow lands on his grave and his superpower is basically being an immortal zombie. If Marvel did that, it would be constant zombie jokes. And I would hate that. Like as much as I like MCU for certain things, that is not one of the things that I would like it for. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree wholeheartedly. And honestly, that's not a that's not a character that needs to cross over. No, no, it's you not. Know what I mean, with anything that doesn't need to be. That's not the type of movie that you make as part of a shared universe. universe yeah. Which is fascinating means- because this is the same, like I said, the same kind of of nature and and feel and and fragrance as like hanging out over in like the Neil Gaiman side of comics and all of that kind of stuff. But it's so interesting because this is so should be so isolated, and this does not need to play in a world with anybody mm-hmm. else, right? True. But you look at something like the Sandman universe, and you're like, no, no, you, you, the, the way it's written, you can just keep on, on unpacking that world and adding on to it, and all of that kind of stuff. That it, it is begging for a big immersive storytelling experience that can have all of the bells and whistles. So it's just at, at a psychological level. Before we even get into the the religious symbology. Mm-hmm and all of that kind of stuff the mentality behind that is is interesting to me because we do talk about the 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 vibe and the and there is so, so much nostalgia for this time period like you know shout out to a, a friend of the show you know we we actually know a guy whose namesake is the main character of this flick um and and check out check out my seminary life for some really good teaching and some really interesting perspectives. Um, and, and that, like I said, that's a whole, that's a whole mentality that like, that was something that probably the original version of this episode probably would have, would have been focused on. This to me speaks more like art. And I know, I know that I sound, and maybe I am, maybe my role in this <laughs> is to be the nineties guy. You know what I mean? To, to be the Homer for the nineties and all of that kind of stuff. But like, this to me is 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 an opportunity for somebody to make an artistic expression, and I think they did that. Yeah, yeah, definitely a very artistic movie. And I mean, some some things, um, some things I wish were bigger universes that aren't. 
uh, when I think of like when they were going to do the monster universe of Universal Monster Universe with like the mummy and Dracula and all them. I liked that idea a lot. Mummy flopped for a reason, but I liked the idea a lot. But when it comes to even stuff like, you know, Edward Scissorhands, love that movie. I would hate if they build it on it. Please leave it alone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And th- this is one of those worlds. Like, I see exactly what you're saying. Like, this this needs to be – if it would have been a trilogy, I think that could have been cool. But I would not have liked anything else to ever touch it. It needs to be separate. <laughs> right. I don't want my potatoes right. and peas touching in this case. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think – so, so I think you'll you'll I'll be interested to to get your get your two cents on this. I think that this is a proper execution of what a show like Moon Knight could have been. I think it has the same sort of vibe. I think my problem is a lot of this movie for me, what stood out was the music, and that kind of music with Moon Knight wouldn't work. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think that's what you're trying to say. No, no. I think no, as no. as a, just the general vibe and like the level of darkness in it. I think that's how dark a moon night should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, it, it's funny, like even down to a music level, like this allowed for a generation's type of angsty outsider to, to be heard in a way, because yeah, this is, this attracts of, especially back then, a very particular type of crowd, a very particular type of mm-hmm. audience and things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, side note, I hate, I hated, I should say, when churches try to reach out to that group and they try to do their version of this because like church grunge is bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's cringy. It's, it's not grungy. It's, um, it's pretty cringe. Yeah. That's but, the best part. That's because nobody's realized the gimmick. Okay. Here's the gimmick, right? Us as 90s kids. Oh, trust me. The cringiest thing that you could show me is some kind of encapsulation of me from 20 years ago. It was (laughs) the source material is cringe. Don't think that you're going to try and make something that's on the level of that. It's not that we, we realize that it's cringe, but nostalgia is a hell of a thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I went from like a Lincoln park kind of sad music and now I listen to passenger and it's still sad, but I look back at some of the Linkin Park stuff and like I I enjoy it because of what it once was to me. Yeah. But I don't think I would enjoy it if someone tried to make that kind of music today because I'm like, that's not, like it's it's a little dated now. Yeah. But that's yeah, you know, that's just my two cents. I I, I want to say about the soundtrack because you, you meant we both mentioned it. And I just have to say, I don't know if I would watch this movie again just because it's not necessarily my style. Right. But I did already re-listen to the soundtrack. The soundtrack was killer, man. Yeah. Yeah, I and, and it's I feel like because of what kind of business record sales were and I'm talking about going to Gallery of Sound. I'm talking about re- like records, right? Like CDs, I'm not saying specific but like the physical media. How much how important that was in the grand scheme of when a company is going when a a, a production company is going to maximize profits, they have to look they at that point in time they had to look at the the album portion of it too. And so there mm-hmm. are so many movies from this period of time that you look at that the soundtrack was part of the experience. You know, mm-hmm. we, my, my wife and I were just starting to dip our toes back into watching, like, we call it safe horror. Like we burnt, mm-hmm. we, I, I've been very open about the fact that last year went hard, went too hard, burnt myself out 
and <laughs> I honestly yeah. set back from horror almost entirely but we started i i listened to a new horror podcast that i found and they were talking about scream and that's safe to me i've seen i've seen that movie that's that's mm-hmm. more of a at this point i'm dissecting it for who killed who during what who was where <laughs> rather than like yeah. watching it for the suspense of it all but like yeah i found myself hooked, like i'm listening to that and they're talking about how good the soundtrack is and so Of course, I go to YouTube and I look up the soundtrack and I'm finding myself listening to it from cover to cover again because it's one of those soundtracks for me that's just so stinking good. Also, as a side note, I now just have this image burned in my head of Joe and I simultaneously uh, near the end of the 90s him with this album from The Crow and me over there with my album of Hercules. (laughs) Disney's Hercules, yeah. That's what our lives were like at that point. (laughs) <laughs> That's funny. But the best part is is I I get to I get to see a little bit of both worlds because I I was still very into like 90s media. Like I was I just there was yeah. no there were no guardrails in the same way that I hear from some people. Like there was like when I say 90s media like everything. You know what I mean? Like there was there yeah. was nothing that was necessarily per se off limits. But yeah, it, it's that that is funny. Though I can I can vibe on the Lincoln Park uh, reference. Yeah, I really liked the first two. I, I will say two CDs. There was still a huge drop off in my in my appreciation for their first CD and their second CD. But I thought their first CD, Hybrid Theory, was uh, awesome. Still, uh, like for its time, really good. Nowadays, somebody making that music, I agree. It's it, it is a it is a product of its time, and it needs to remain as such. Yeah, that's what made it good. One one last thing that I would really like to say about this movie, um, I, I'm sure we have other things we want to talk about, but I, I want to make sure I put it out there that Tin Tin was a stupid character with a stupid name. <laughs> Didn't like that at all. <laughs> like why? Uh, why? Like, make everyone menacing. You have the tone right. Just make everybody really menacing. <laughs> right. That's funny. Yeah, I like I said, uh, honestly, in a, in a world where during the same kind of time, guys like um, Jean-Claude Van Damme were making movies, <laughs> Chuck Norris was making movies like Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I, I do not I do not deny that what you're talking about is absolutely a thing. I just look at it differently than you do. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I mean, I still enjoyed the movie. There were just certain yeah. things that I was like, he, he looks he looks kind of menacing. His character could be better. The name Tintin? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It really it threw me off, man. I was like, I okay. I mean, sure. That's funny. That's <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, that's coming from a Spider-Man fan where one of my favorite villains is Shocker. I mean, come on. <laughs> you don't get worse than that, really. Not really. <laughs> um, so okay. I want to I want to shift gears here and and cut it up a little bit about some of the points that makes a movie like this a little bit more spicy to be Mm -hmm. watching in the eyes of some Christians and some like some believers. So this movie is literally one giant like pagan or or, uh, subject matter movie. Like the crux of this is rooted in pagan symbology and all of that kind of stuff. You can't negotiate your way out of it with a movie like this. And like we talked about, like jokes about it and all that kind of stuff. But there is 
really no upswing. Like, yeah, and I guess in a sense of like, like enjoying to watch the bad guy get theirs, you can at least count on or yeah, count on that out of this movie. But this isn't one that has a happy ending by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. And so and and to true to the source material, the source material didn't have that either. So you have these this flavor and this tone and the subject matter that all adds to this kind of feel that that makes it a little bit more controversial to say that you like this movie or even that you've watched this movie in some circles and all of that. And so I wanna I wanna dig in a little bit there because I think that's some interesting conversation to be considered, especially yeah, with somebody you. like you that's so open because of this the mission of unity you know what i mean that being an important mission statement for what you do at a ministry level and how you think and how you approach things and all of that i think that's interesting yeah i do think uh if you haven't seen this movie yet uh, any trigger warning you might have there's a strong chance it applies <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's uh um, that's a perfectly valid statement uh for for me i I'm okay watching most media. There's very few things that really impact me or my soul that I even like, oh man, that really made me, you know, whatever. I, you know, I've struggled my faith. I'm confident in it. I think to me, and this is, there's a difference. And we talked about this on my other podcast, the whole church podcast, you know, I have to do my little plug, I guess. But we talk about the difference between Christian unity and being at peace with all men. The Bible says that he, God, Jesus prays that all his followers be united as he and God are united. It does not use the word unity of us and non-believers. In fact, it says what fellowship does light have with darkness, right? Right. But it also says be at peace with everyone. And when you look at the examples of what that looks like in the New Testament, you have Paul you talking about idols to explain who God is to people. Yeah. They were not unaware of their culture. And if you want to reach people of a certain culture, you need to be aware of what's going on. You don't have to watch everything they watch. But I think if you treat if you treat everything that Grunge 90 kids like as the most taboo thing out there, and then you want to go tell them about some anything, why why would they listen to you? Like there's a right. difference. I'm not saying you have to watch this, but I am saying treating all of these things like taboo, I think damages our ability to witness. Yeah. I think that makes uh, sense. Shout out to our friends over at uh, Geek Devotions, Dally and Celeste. That's literally their mission statement is to show the geek, the geek community that they are loved. And mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's something that for us also, you know, um, it is, is a very – it, it's it's at the heart of of what we try to express when we express these things. Sometimes to the benefit, or sometimes to the good, sometimes to the bad. We don't always hit the mark, but but we certainly try. And mm-hmm. that to me, it's movies like this that have a way of spotlighting that because there's no there there a lot of this stuff doesn't have a one size fits all. If mm-hmm. If you can't handle some of the adult themes, and I don't mean adult in a patronizing way, that's the best PC word that I got, that that are contained in this flick, um, then don't watch it. That's cool. Like If that's going to be damaging yeah. to your soul, then don't watch it. But that's not yep. a, a universal command. And mm-hmm. and that, and, and to me, it's all, on top of it, that it's interesting, right? Because 
look at the look at the Bible and what it warned against in the verbiage specifically that it used. There are pagan practices in place that if you look at more modern versions of paganism, um, they look very, very similar and things like that. And and so these this this being a reality of the periphery, guys, if if the things if the things that we worship have worshipers, why are we surprised that the other aspects also have worshipers? Humans mm-hmm. have the have it in them to choose to worship. So that mm-hmm. speaks to the fact that uh, I'm not saying it's good, but I am saying that why are we surprised? And mm-hmm. and actually coming from exposure to that world of the 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 pagan thought and and still acknowledging a version of the supernatural quote unquote mm-hmm. um but just through totally different lenses and means and thought process and all of that kind of stuff there was a lot that this was daring to say this was a lot there there was a lot here that it was daring enough to show and mm-hmm. from a storytelling point of view from a we need to be aware of the world around us point of view from a byproduct of this period of time point of view that's the kind of thing that I look fine. I like, I look finally at the nineties that this is the period of time where something like this can be said. And I know that that's dicey for some people because of what I'm saying, the, like what, what the medium is that I'm talking about or the media that it is that I'm talking about. But, but uh, I, I guess, I guess this is the same thing of why, like why, why do we ever expect secular companies to make media that jives with our beliefs this isn't mm-hmm. made to make a Christian flick. And the fact that it's still speaking to this thing, to me, even speaks as a better apologetic because the secular world is noticing this reality as well. I understand we're talking about a movie, mm-hmm. but we're talking about a movie steeped in concepts that were alive during that period of time that were way more commonly held during that period of time in a more open way. Yeah. And for some reason, I feel like people treat paganism and, and Wiccans and that kind of stuff as a more dangerous other religion. Uh, right. Anything that's not Jesus Christ is not the way. I mean, <laughs> I put them at all equally wrong. Um, but I I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with being curious of other people's beliefs and stuff. First of all, I think it's actually helpful if you're going to witness to someone else to understand what they believe. Yeah. And, and I mean, even on top of that, this is something I always just thought was interesting. Christians get mad when companies make movies about other religions because you're building up those other religions. And then the same Christians get mad when they make movies about Christians because you didn't represent Christians right. Right. Newsflash, I'm willing to bet someone who's actually a pagan would watch this and go, oh, you didn't represent our – that's the thing. Yeah. The, the movies are not set out to properly represent these religions, to properly build up your religion or anyone else's religion. They're out to tell a story. This happens to be the vehicle they used. Right. Exactly. And so, so I think for me, I I can, I can appreciate the benefits that this brought to cinema and separate Mm -hmm. this from, you know, oh, this is perpetuating some kind of concept and polluting the minds of young America and all of that kind of stuff says the people that grew up during that generation and now hand 
like not now are the same ones that are facilitating kids that are in kindergarten having smart devices and access to the internet the, this world yeah. continues to go forward in the way that it continues to go forward i i was the generation that grew up on stuff like this so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna throw stones i live in a glass house why would i do that i i'm not, so yeah. but but it's to say that i think every generation has a version of this i don't i don't think any of us when it comes to this spinning wheel of media and what is acceptable and not to view as a Christian, have much room to consider much of anything because it really just depends on what you want to take aim at. Um, a lot of the same people who can't stand serial or uh, uh, slasher movies are some of the same people that enjoy the 87th My Favorite Serial Killer podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that there's always this, the hamster wheel is always spinning. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? When it comes to this, it just depends on what angle you want to take and where you're coming from and your preferences and all of that, which tends to be, tends to be the thing whenever we start talking about uh, religious overcorrection in any form. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think this might be helpful. Uh, in, in most media, especially literature, you can see there is the objects in the subject of the story. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, the, the pieces are the objects that are moving around to get what the meaning of it is out, whatever that subject is. Sometimes the subject is, wow, Spider-Man is cool, right? Right. <laughs> and all the pieces are just there to make Spider-Man look cool. In this case, I feel like the pagan pieces, all the characters, all of that are there as objects. And the subject of this movie, I think the real story is about revenge and the pros and cons of people enacting their own revenge on wrong being done in the world. And that's where as a Christian, I look at this and I think this tells the story of a big fat red flag of, Hey, this is what happens when we try to take revenge. Right. <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. And when you get off a go and you look past the surface layer of, of those other topic, those other concepts, that's where you start to yeah. see those kinds of themes where you the look at yeah exactly where you can look at the realities of revenge on a personal level and you can you can delve into something that at its core speaks to a human hindrance a human experience mm -hmm. even if it's wrapped up in something that has supernatural overtones oh yeah i gotta say uh not to not to move past this too quick I think it's really interesting that this is our last of the summer drive-in episodes. And I feel like at some point during this, we could go ahead and announce that we're going to do the drive-in again for Halloween. Cause I feel like this is like the perfect transition. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm like? We're talking about revenge. We're talking about these dark pagan kind of themes that I associate more with Halloween, but I still think this, you know, checks the box of thriller of summer blockbuster kind of deal. Like I don't know if it came out during the summer, but it has that blockbuster feel to it still even though it's more artsy and kind of got the darker themes. Yeah. This is this is one of those fl films that while being it, it kind of walks those both worlds of you know being a movie that is considered a success, you know, a box office success and all of that, but also being like I said a product an artsy product of its time in a lot of regards. But yeah, this is a movie that 
you know, does does marry those worlds of being kind of big and bombastic and all mm-hmm. of that, but now starting to get into movies that are flavored a little bit closer to the season. Which I think it's going to be three or four weeks before we start the Halloween drive-in. We kick that off. So perfect time for you guys to, uh, you guys get a break, watch whatever movies you want the next four weeks, and then we'll tell you what movies to watch again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So anything else before we head into the wrap up? Uh, no, I, um, I, I did have a theater question. You know, we've, we've been doing um, each episode where we ask about your movie going experience. I think for our summer finale, I want to know you go to the theater, you have, you know, unlimited cash. They're going to give whatever you want for free. Describe exactly what you're getting from the concession stand to the theater, your drink, food, everything. So I, I'm one of those sweet and, um, salty types. And so if I, if I had my druthers, I would get just one of those obnoxious tubs of popcorn, Mm -hmm. get some bunch of crunch, (laughs) mix it in there. Oh, that's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the most obnoxious cherry Coke that I can, that I can get. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my obnoxious drink is as big as I can possibly get. Like I want huger than huge. I like the blue ices. I love those things. Or if they have white raspberry, man, that's good. Um, same thing, big tub of popcorn, ton of butter on it. I, I want yep. to be worried about my car, like my, you know, my cartery arteries and all of that afterwards. Um, <laughs> and either, either I want the nachos or a hot dog with nacho cheese and ketchup on it. There you go. I don't something about something about that combo at the theater. Just good. Yeah. But that's yeah. assuming it's all free. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh, that's all I got. So that's a wrap for this iteration of the SG drive in. It has been a lot of fun to walk through oh, yeah. these these movies that have I feel like a, a thread among a lot of these films is that to varying degrees, they're both they're simultaneously so so important to kind of their place in cinema. But sometimes like these are in certain respects, some of these are kind of the unsung heroes of mm-hmm. cinema because they're so they're so important and they they're such a mainstay in the periphery of the history of cinema that you can kind of overlook them and end up not seeing some of these absolute classics. Oh yeah. I mean we covered everything from Jaws to the Crow to Tarzan <laughs> of all things, right? So yeah. it, it has been a wild ride this summer. <laughs> Yeah, and I look forward to it as as a longtime horror fan. Um, I, I absolutely look forward to getting a chance to wax poetically about some of these movies. And no, we're not just doing a straight, straight horror, but my hope is mm-hmm. that as we talk about these things, that you guys kind of trust us enough to discuss these horror films in a way and present them in a way that isn't just about watching a slasher flick or watching a horror movie or something like that, Mm -hmm. that we're going to hit this from an angle that isn't afraid to unpack some of the themes and the concepts and all of those kinds of things as well. Oh, yeah. And of course, you can trust me to find a way to sneak Disney into tune in. (laughs) Absolutely. Without a doubt. So with that, 
folks. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this ride as much as we did. And until next time, when we will have a whole new set of movies to go through, just remember that we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.